coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. An expedited patent typically takes six to nine months. There's three ways to expedite. One way is absolute unmitigated malpractice and nobody on the face of the planet ever uses it. It's called accelerated exam. Okay. So I don't mean to overstate how bad it is. Okay. But it's really bad. Then there's this thing called track one, which is just for the same price. You could do this other thing called patent prosecution highway. Essentially you file, you file a patent in the U S and you file a patent somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Singapore, Canada, Australia, wherever, you get it examined really fast over there. And then once some other, or you could use the PCT, or you could, you know, once some other patent granting authority says the claims are good, then you can come back to the US and they'll mm-hmm. fast track it all the way through. And somebody else has already looked at it and somebody yeah. else said it's pretty good. So you have pretty good confidence that it's going to roll through rather quickly. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Russ Krajak, who is the CEO of Blue Iron LLC. So Russ is a patent attorney and a patent expert, and we get into the ins and outs of patents. So if you're a company that's looking for a patent or you feel like you have a patentable idea, this is going to be an episode that you're going to want to listen to. But unlike a lot of patent attorneys, we and we get into exactly what most patent attorneys do, Russ has a little bit different approach where he will actually fund your application process for you. And it, and again, we get into this during today's episode, but it really aligns the, the relationship between the uh, inventor and the patent attorney much, much better than what a typical patent attorney client relationship looks like. So uh, again, we get into all kinds of different ins and outs and, you know, when you should patent something and when you shouldn't and, you know, what to look for, what you need to apply for the patents. We get into all of that. So again, if you think you have an idea or have a business that has something that is patentable, listen to Russ's episode, listen to what he has to say, maybe reach out, get in touch with him. Really, really insightful, great, great advice when you are looking for that that particular path for your business. So I hope you enjoy today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce. The dinner table. Well, I have, I was the oldest of three boys and we had dinner at home every night. Mm-hmm. You know, dad would come home from work. We'd have big spread and my mom was a fantastic cook. And we always had some you know, some form of discussion around the, the dinner table. You know, I don't typically remember what mm-hmm. we talked about. I mean, it was a long time ago, but and, we did always have dinner together. 
and and were you exposed to entrepreneurialism early on, or is this something that just struck you? My grandparents, well, my well, my grandparents on my mother's side were my grandfather was a farmer, and mm-hmm. and grandpa and grandma started a little farm supply store, and they had nuts and bolts and you know everything you need for you know keeping the keeping the farm up and it was a teeny tiny little store in a even smaller town and mm-hmm. they ran that thing for years and i love visiting it could well grandpa always had like this little corner full of candy and, okay yeah and pepsi uh-huh. so you know i could go down there on a hot summer day and <laughs> and get <laughs> get one of those pepsis in the bottle you know in the glass bottle when you popped open the top it was so cold that that slush would form on the top it would just freeze oh, nice. you over. it was yeah. like the best thing ever yeah that's great that's great so so you spent a lot of time with your grandparents would you say that they kind of influenced you in thinking towards well, the, you know, I, an entrepreneurial they, they were in they were in illinois and okay. i grew up in connecticut and so i'd go out there for you know a couple of weeks every summer and and whatever my mother was quite the entrepreneur she's in her 80s and running an amazon store right now too oh, so nice. yeah maybe it runs in the blood yeah so. very cool very cool and and were you did you do the typical path with college and all that or mm-hmm. did you yeah well actually up? before that i was homeschooled oh well wow. well before it was fashionable yeah <laughs> but yeah i went to college got an engineering degree went out in the world worked as a as an engineer for 13 years, stumbled into this, had an invention I wanted to license, mm-hmm. went to a patent attorney who was on my hockey team. He gave me some terrible, terrible advice. I was so angry about it. I took the patent bar because I'm a, as you can take the patent bar as an engineer. So okay. I became a patent agent, wound up working for this attorney and saw what happens behind the 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 curtains i kind of learned the business from that attorney and then i went to law school in my late 30s mm-hmm. and been practicing ever since so you know we could talk about talk about any step along that that journey or since then yeah so so with with all of that i mean so you you got you focus on patent law right now right you know yep. and and you know, applying for patents and using patents, you know, as an asset, I guess you can say, you know, for mm-hmm. your company. What are some of the, I guess, some of the the hurdles that a lot of people sort of stumble over when they walk down that that path initially? Like, you know, whether that be for an invention or an idea or whatever it is, is there is there anything that comes to mind as far yeah, as like some, common? There's something huge. And it's the conflict of interest between the patent attorney and the client okay you you walk into the patent attorney's office for the first time and you think oh finally you know somebody understands me somebody loves you know the first person in the world that actually loves my invention because mm-hmm. they're getting paid and the, you know it's like a big accomplishment and you think oh well i'm protected well you know it, it turns out that there's a huge conflict of interest between the patent attorney and the client and that's why I got frustrated when I went to this patent attorney. I wanted advice. Tell me what to do. Yeah. He's like, well, you could do this option. You could do that option. You could do that option. I'm like, well, which one's the right one for me? Well, well, you can do this option. You could do that. And repeated it at $400 an hour. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I didn't realize until I got to the other side that the, I didn't realize it at the time naively that, that the patent attorney needs to make money. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm asking the barber if they need a haircut. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get one every time. Yeah. No matter how bad it is, I'm going to get, you know, how dumb the idea is, whatever perpetual motion machine thing. Yeah. As an attorney, my legal, moral, and ethical obligation is to write that patent up and send it to the patent office. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I have a financial interest in taking your money Mm -hmm. and I cannot give you advice because of my liability. The attorney's Mm -hmm. liability is staggering. If you come to me with with a bad invention, the the classic perpetual motion machine, Mm -hmm. and I tell you, you know, that's probably not a good idea to get a patent on Mm -hmm. because, uh, you know, I know that I'm going to be taking money from you and I just feel guilty about it. Yeah. Well, uh, what if I'm wrong? What if I, as the attorney, am wrong and that perpetual motion machine actually worked and a guy down the street built it and made millions with it, you know, and he got a patent on and he made millions of it. My guy comes back to me and says, what the heck? Yeah. You should have told me you get a patent. Yeah. Well, you know what I get? I get sued for all your lost profits in every country of the world for the next 20 years. Wow. Wow. Okay. My liability exposure is Enormous. Yeah, and of course that's of course that's uh, projected profits too, right? Oh yeah, you know, it's all make believe. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. It, it, like you cannot have enough insurance for it, so it's yeah. just you know. So that's why the patent attorney says, "Oh, well, that's a great idea," and tell me more about it, and I'll, let's write it up and go. But the clients don't realize that there's this conflict of interest when you're hiring a yeah, professional sure. like that. And they have a vested interest in prolonging the the pendency of the patent app, you know, the, of the patent application. You know, do doctors want people to be well? No, mm-hmm. <laughs> they want people to be sick. Yeah. Do, do patent attorneys want patents to issue? No, they want them to be keep pending so they keep getting paid. Yeah. yeah. And so there's all these disincentives in the system that that entrepreneurs or clients just don't realize Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they think, Oh, I hired an attorney. Now magically I can sleep at night because I'm protected. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, so your approach, your approach is, is a bit different than yes, I assume. Yeah. What I do is I'll finance the patents and what that allows me to do is it goes around the, attorney client relationship, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it actually puts skin in the game for me Yeah, because if I'm financing your patent, you know, for your perpetual motion machine and for whatever reason, your company doesn't make it and you just say, you know what? I don't want that patent anymore. You can keep it. Well, then I'm kind of stuck. I'm stuck with that patent. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm trying to figure out, well, how do I create an asset that if I get stuck with it, that I can sell, that it's, that'll survive litigation, that it has licensable value, that there's a buyer out there that might want this thing that, you know, that, that will survive all the, you know, the full court press that will happen if that patent never got asserted. 
Yeah, no, that makes that makes perfect sense. And that 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 sounds like things are so much more aligned, you know, with that with that approach. I mean, no, no comparison. Yeah, it is. And, you know, the interesting thing to me is that first time entrepreneurs or first time inventors don't understand this at all. Yeah. They don't appreciate the problem. Oh, well, my patent attorney is really nice. He sent me chocolates at Christmas. (laughs) Yeah. Like he, he, he was the only one who loved my idea and I can't figure out why, but (laughs) he's such a nice guy or girl or whatever. Then I, you know, I just couldn't, I just couldn't, you know, I have such a, a, you know, an affinity for that, that patent attorney. I just love him to death. And, you know, I couldn't do anything that harm that relationship by whatever, Yeah. you know, the patent attorney can't even remember your name. Yep. But, yep. you know, I don't know. It, it's when I do this financing thing, I have to do a lot more research than mm-hmm. when I'm just writing a patent application because I, I, I need to be able to say no. Yeah. For and, these reasons. Yeah. And, you know, and for a lot of people, they should not get patents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it turns out I'm the only patent attorney saying that, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I looked. At, uh, I, I'm a member of an angel investor group, uh, Frontier Angels, up in Montana, and we looked at a company that had uh, a cybersecurity product, mm-hmm. and so their their product would sit on your computer, and they would they would detect that that something bad was happening, and then they shut it all down. Well, some angel investor asked the entrepreneur, "Well, do you have a patent?" He's like, well, I don't really think I should get one. Oh, I think you should get a patent. So he runs out because the investor told him to. Yeah. They went out and got a patent. And that that patent explained, this is exactly how my system works. This is exactly what we look for. This is where it resides. This is what it does. They gave him the whole blueprint for their, you know, for the bad guys to figure out what to look for. And yep. how to get around their their thing? Yep. Interesting. And and in a situation like that, I'm assuming that they probably were not issued the patent then. Well, no. The, what we fortunately we caught the that patent before it ever got published. Okay. So as part of the due diligence, we looked at the patent application and and said, you know, the best thing for you is to keep this a trade secret. Yeah. Do not get a patent on it. And you know what we and the inventor abandoned the patent so mm-hmm. that it doesn't exist it'll never see the light of day Good. it'll always everything will be a trade secret and that's you know at least in my view the best way for him to go forward yeah no absolutely and and so when you're saying that you finance the the patents what all is included in that obviously i'm assuming that you know there's you know the application process and typically all of the the regular you know, lawyer, patent attorney fees and all of that. Is there anything else that's included? Well, um, that's most, I mean, it's the cost of getting the patent. Mm -hmm. My job is to get you that, get that patent issued all the way through. And typically Mm -hmm. about a quarter of the cost are when you write up the patent application and do all, you know, this is what the invention is, is, you know, write up the technical description of it, do the figures and all that, file it. Mm -hmm. And then most of the cost of getting a patent when it's done well is the back and forth with the patent examiner. Yeah. And that's kind of the hidden cost that 
when you go to people, patent attorneys' websites and they say, oh, we'll file a patent application for whatever amount of money, yep. $2,000, $5,000, $6,000, $10,000, whatever, you're, that's only the tip of the iceberg. Right, right. If they're pretty clever, they're able to keep that patent application pending for years. Yeah, yep. And th- that's where the money is is really made. Yeah. Now, from a from a like a, a patent pending process, mm-hmm. a person who's seeking a patent is basically that that invention is protected once it goes into patent pending status. Correct. Right. It's you know it's yeah. The short answer is yes. The legal answer is you have protection for whatever you put in that patent application okay. at the time it was filed. Okay. So if if you're missing something in there, you don't have any protection. If if it was not completely described, you know, you're not protected. But you know, it's you could think about it that way. That one patent is never enough. And even a hundred patents are never enough. That that doesn't you're not protected because you have patents. Yeah. You just have patents. And then you've got to figure out, well, how am I going to use these? What, you know, patents are usually focused on something pretty specific mm-hmm. about a product that's usually pretty complex. So I, I protect or I get a patent on one little feature out of the rest of this, and maybe I have patents on the other features and so on. And that, that whole body of work, that whole portfolio may make it very difficult for somebody to infringe. Mm-hmm. Or, or for somebody to make it easy for somebody to infringe, make it difficult for somebody to go around your product. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So are there any characteristics or qualifications to where you can identify, like, this is a situation where I should have a patent and, in, and this is a situation where I shouldn't have a patent. Is there any like easy way to be able to describe, you know, when you should or when you shouldn't? Yeah, there's basically two, you know, first off, the patent has to be detectable. Mm-hmm. If I can go buy a competitor's product, bring it back to my garage or my lab or whatever, and take it apart and say, yep, you do every single one of the, you know, your product has every single one of these features. Mm-hmm. If I can, if it's detectable, it's enforceable. Okay. Mm-hmm. A lot of patents are on some machine learning, AI, blockchain nonsense that rides in the cloud or in some black box. Mm-hmm. A lot of software patents are bad, not because they're software, but because they're undetectable. Yeah. If this algorithm is working in, in a competitor's device, could I ever tell without having access to source code? No. Yeah. Yeah. So don't get a patent on it. Call it a trade secret. And never, mm-hmm. let, never let it see a light of day. So detectability is kind of the most important thing. The second thing is, how many other ways are there to do this? Mm-hmm. If there are three different ways of solving this customer's problem and I get a patent on the fourth one. Hey, it's Matt. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I've been involved in the multifamily real estate realm for a while. It's something that I truly, truly enjoy, and I wanted you, my listeners, to be the first to know about something new coming out. We're calling it the MultiWiser Deal Room. It's a community of individuals just like you 
who want to get wise about multifamily real estate investing, developing, and even owning and managing your own complexes. You'll be able to network with people from all sections of the industry, from investors looking for deals, project managers looking for investors, real estate brokers, property management agencies, contractors, remodeling experts, finance gurus, you name it, we're going to have it in the network. I've been at this for a while, and I know it takes a community to make just one of these projects happen. And the MultiWiser Deal Room is my attempt to shorten your learning curve and get you plugged into leading experts fast who can help you close your own deals. We start off with a video glossary of over 150 commonly used terms to increase your understanding and help you get moving. Also included in the community are training videos to help you be successful, like how to put together a pitch deck, build a team, and so much more. We're going to have live interactive Zoom calls where you can ask your questions and learn from people who are actually out there in the industry doing it. For more information, go to multiwiser.com. It's pointless. Yeah. Right? I sue, oh, somebody's doing my fourth thing, and I sue them. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll just do one of these other ways and yeah. I'll still sell product and I'll still meet my customers' demands. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and you kind of touched on this a second ago and I, I maybe it might've just been the way that it was phrased, but I thought that algorithms were not patentable or maybe oh, they, that's changed. They, 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 they are. They always have been. They always will be. There's, you know, the, the popular press tries to make a big deal out of, you know, patentable subject matter and stuff. And, yeah. and Google and Apple have been very, very effective at, at stripping the patent rights from inventors and stuff. And so there is a bunch of controversy about what is patentable or not, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, everything's patentable. You know, we just have to do a little push-ups or form it in a different way to get a patent on that algorithm. Yep. Yep. Got it. So for you to want to move forward and finance the the patent application process, how do you how do you I guess what information would someone need to provide to you to do your due diligence, you know, on whatever that whatever that process is? And well, start there. It, it, yeah. You know, is there you know is there any type of information that you would need? I usually want to see a pitch deck. You know, I'm I'm, I'm making an investor level. Or, or an angel investor type investment. Mm-hmm. I want, I need you to be successful. Okay. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm financing a patent and the company goes bankrupt, I got nothing. But if, mm-hmm. if I finance a patent and you are able to bring that product to market, the patent has value because you're selling the patented invention and the, and the product has more value because it's patented and you, you have a bigger playing area. Yeah. You know, nobody can play in your sandbox. And so I need the company to be successful. I'm more worried about, will the company survive? Mm-hmm. Does the company have the right financing? Do they have a good business plan? Are they, are they the right people to bring this to market? Do they have the right capital structure, the right talent stack? whatever it takes to be successful. And I, you know, one of the things always bugs me is somebody calls and they have an invention and we talk about, "Eh, you know, I don't know. And then they say, well, I got this other thing way over here on right field. You know, I'm going to do a self-driving car or, you know, what? like, whoa, 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 whoa. That to me is a huge red flag. Mm -hmm. 
that mm-hmm. says they they would go chase the shiny new toy. Yeah. Yep. And if things got a little bit rough on this one idea, they're like, oh, you know what? I got I got a hundred more ideas. I'll just go do one of those. But I invested in that first one. Yeah. And then I'm holding the bag on that first one and they're out running around doing, you know, whatever, yeah, whatever. other yeah. <laughs> whatever other product. And so focus, you know, sad to say as an angel investor, I want to know that you're going to be eating peanut butter and ramen and slaving away at this, you know, 162 hours a week. And you know, you're never going to take a vacation and, you know, yeah. all that, that's kind of, you know, that kind of level of commitment you want to see, but, you know, in general, I prefer to invest alongside other angel groups, other venture capital, mm-hmm. you know, I, I want to make sure that you have the bandwidth and the runway to be successful. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And then uh, kind of secondary to that, obviously, you know, there's, any number of different industries or verticals that people can create these things in. Are you comfortable pretty well investing in any type of product? You know, even if you're not familiar with that particular market, as long as they can explain why the item is patentable or what, what problem they're solving, or is it something where you like to stick in your own lane and stick in, you know, verticals that you're familiar with? The only, you know, the only thing I would stay away from is pharma drug delivery drug delivery and to some extent medical device requires regulatory approval before you can get to the market mm-hmm. and so patent doesn't do any good until you have regulatory appro- approval once you have yep. once you've once you can start legally selling the product then we want to, you know if if it makes money competitors are going to say oh i could do that too and then they bring products to market then and only then are the patents going to have value. Yeah. So if we do a patent on a medical device or a pharmaceutical that never makes it past the FDA clearance, it's a worthless piece of paper. Yeah. It's an idea. Yeah. It's prophetic. It's maybe potential, but it it didn't get across the goal line. So I, you know, I do, I will do medical device stuff. Pharma is just, you know, that's just, an order of magnitude worse in terms of in terms of the regulatory hurdles you have to go through mm-hmm. in general i don't like anything that's goopy goopy got it <laughs> so no you know goopy I, i'm a electrical mechanical yeah you know software you like guy. To feel it yeah touch it see if it. it if it feels slimy i'm like eh, i don't like it yeah got it got it so what what are some of your I guess how how long does it take that process to to you know come to fruition? Typically, like is there is there any type of calculation or or you know we're starting a, uh, the patent process today? Is there anything that we can do to to streamline that or mm-hmm. or you know I guess what is the general amount of time that it takes to get the patent? And then there's there anything that we can do to you know make that easier on you and the patenting process? Well, you know in Typically, it's two to three, four, four or five years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just kind of the normal backlog that the patent office has. You can expedite them. Mm-hmm. An expedited patent typically takes six to nine months. There's three ways to expedite. One way is absolute unmitigated malpractice and nobody on the face of the planet ever uses it. It's called accelerated exam. Okay. Yeah. 
So I don't mean to overstate how bad it is. Okay. But it's really bad. Then there's this thing called track one, which is just for the same price. You could do this other thing called patent prosecution highway. Essentially you file, you file a patent in the U S and you file a patent somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Singapore, Canada, Australia, wherever you get it examined really fast over there. And then once some other, or you could use the PCT or you could, you know, once some other patent granting authority says the claims are good, then you can come back to the U S and they'll Mm -hmm. fast track it all the way through. And somebody else has already looked at it and somebody else said is pretty good. So you have pretty good confidence that it's going to roll through rather quickly. Interesting. So is there any, I mean, I almost kind of, you know, see that it's sort of as grandfathering in into the U S patent office, basically, are there any, is there any preferred country or, or direction that you would go to, to, you know, do that? Like you, you mentioned Singapore or Canada, are they, I've done them in in different countries. The easiest one is this thing called the patent cooperation treaty, which is the, a giant bundle of, 195 patent application or 165, whatever the numbers. It's it's a bundle of patent applications that all the countries of the world, for all you know, other than just a handful, they'll all accept that one patent application. But okay. that when you file that, there's a search that gets done, and somebody writes an opinion and says, you know, it's good, it's bad, and here's why. Yep. Yep. No, that makes sense. And are there any, is there any area that you shouldn't go? Like if you're looking for this, you know, this grandfathered shortcut process, is there any place where Mm. you should steer away from? Well, I mean, this is like way inside baseball, but there's a couple, Singapore's is a very, very interesting place to get your patents examined. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a tiny country. They basic, but they set out to create a patent office that was that will be probably at some time the gold standard for examination. Hmm. So, and their turnaround time is tremendous, like two weeks. You know, like you file wow. file something two weeks later, you got this beautiful opinion. You know, done in you know all the all the east or all the western you know languages, English and so on. But they also you know they have native speaking. Chinese, Japanese, Korean speakers. And so they have, you know, your search gets done over there, you know, on those databases as well. It's, and they're phenomenally good. That's really, really interesting. And when you're going and and applying for patent protection, do you have to apply in every country in order to have your invention protected there? You have to apply in a country if you want protection in that country. Okay. What's the reality though? The reality is there's three countries that matter, the U.S., mm-hmm. China, and Germany. Okay. And why? Why China and Germany? Because you can get patents and you could enforce your patent in China and Germany better than you can in the U.S. Hmm. Interesting. Remember like 20 years ago, China was nothing, you know, there was CDs of yeah pirated copies of every software in the world. Yeah. They have cracked down on that. They got their act together. You know, I'm not saying it's perfect, but man, did they put a lot of effort into creating a valuable patent system, filing a a humongous number of patents, Mm -hmm. but also the lit, you know, the enforcement 
in China is very, very effective. Mm -hmm. It works. Mm -hmm. You know, it used to be you thought, well, you know, if you're a foreign country, you'll never get a fair shake. Now it seems like you are. Yeah. So it's actually better. You have more power to enforce your patent in China than in the U.S. right now. Interesting. And and do you have any insight into a situation that, you know, is obviously in the news a few years ago, but, you know, if someone's looking to do some type of manufacturing or manufacture their product in China and, you know, they maybe they do have a patent, maybe they don't. I guess any thoughts on how to protect that their interest in whatever that product may be? Is there any, you know, sort of best best path if they're going down that direction that they they should follow? Well, I would worry about getting patents in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and basically nowhere else. If if you can't make money in the U.S., you got a big problem, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of manufacturing is moving out of China to Vietnam to mm-hmm. you know. African countries to wherever. And so even if I had patent protection in China, you know, what am I get? That's, it's expensive. It's hard to know. It's hard for me to know if somebody in China is, you know, copying my product and selling yeah. it in China. I, you know, I don't have access to the market, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, why not just worry about the U.S. If I have a patent and the, on a product and the product's made somewhere else, say it's made in Vietnam or mm-hmm. Zimbabwe or wherever, I can stop that product from being imported to the US. Mm. So I don't care where it's made, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as long as they're not bringing it in here, they can do whatever they want. And I don't get a cut of that. But at the same time, you know, this is a pretty big market. And, you know, that one of the biggest problems with foreign patents is that in the U.S., the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office is funded by fees, by user fees. So, mm-hmm. you know, we file the filing fees we pay, the maintenance fees that we pay to keep patents alive. And the USPTO is designed to break even. Mm-hmm. Every time they make money, the, the most evil institution on the face of the planet called Congress comes in, takes all the extra money and goes, spends it somewhere. Yeah. So they just run on, you know, on their budget and never above that. Every other country of the world, for for the most part, sees patents as a way to tax. And so there's annuities that are paid every year, every single year, 400 bucks, 500 bucks, 1000 bucks, whatever it is. And, you know, you have to pay it for 20 years, the life of the patent. Yeah. Europe is, is incredible because you you first file in Europe, it gets examined. And then you say, okay, well, I want to go into France and Germany and Liechtenstein and Norway and Sweden. And, you know, all the, they're more than happy to do that. And then you have to pay annuity fees to every single one of those countries. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're paying 40 grand a year in just annuities that don't get you anything other than, you know, keep that thing alive. And, and a patent in Europe, to cover the same population as a patent in the U S you know, 350 million people. Yeah. That equivalent patent in Europe costs 10 times what I can, the patent yeah. in the U S costs. Yeah. I can imagine, especially, you know, if you're, you're paying those annuities every year, that's, oh, that's amazing. Oh, I didn't, I never so realized much. that never really thought of that. So. And so from a business standpoint, I could, I could have one patent here and one patent in Europe 
Mm-hmm. Or I could have 11 different patents in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Which one's going to give me, a, you know, a better leg up on competitors? What's what's going to make me more attractive to acquirers and all that? It's yeah. it's having yeah. a bigger diversified portfolio. Yeah. And is there any way to value what a what a patent might be worth? I mean, I, I'm, I'm assuming that that probably goes into you know the market that that it's serving, but. Is there is there a, a rule of thumb that if you were to be granted this patent, it could be worth you know whatever X million dollars? You know, is there is there any way to be able to calculate that or figure that out? There are, and there's people who uh, I happened to I took the course to become a certified patent valuation analyst. Okay, and sounds like a thrilling know, they, course. They gave me some dice that I get to throw, and yeah. whatever <laughs> comes up, and that's what yeah. it is. Um, I, I'm joking, but it's. There's two different ways to think about the value. One is what if you went if you went to somebody and asked for a patent valuation, they would give you a prophetic or a possible value of this mm-hmm. patent. Oh, you have a patent on self-driving car. Oh, that's really cool. Well, you know, the, the market for self-driving cars is what 350 million cars in the U S and they'll all be self-driving in three years. And, mm-hmm. you know, and then I'll run out all these numbers based on all these assumptions. I'll say, Oh, well, you know, your patent's worth a trillion dollars or whatever, mm-hmm. something absurdly big. And, but nobody's infringing it. Nobody's using the invention. It's just, it's a, it's a patent that mm-hmm. may have prospective value. If all you know, all those little assumptions are met, maybe, maybe, maybe that thing would be worth all that. So that's kind of the prophetic part of it. The reality is, what could I do with that patent right now? You know, what's the fire sale value of it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is anybody infringing in this on this patent? If the answer is no, there's no infringement. Patent valuation is you may be $10,000. Okay. okay. If you could get somebody to take a look at it, but yeah. it's their throwaways, right? It, it's less than the cost of getting the patent. Okay. Yeah. If there's somebody in, well, I'll, I'll take that back. If it's a really hot technology that a lot of people are competing and, you know, there might be some infringement shortly and people are just kind of amassing patents. Maybe you could get a hundred thousand for it. Mm-hmm. If it's a hot ticket, if if there's actual infringement, if Apple or Google or Microsoft or you know Ford Motor Company, if somebody big is infringing, then the valuation is based on how much can I sue for, what could I possibly collect, mm-hmm. and then the valuation is a matter you know that calculation on a risk adjusted basis. What's my likelihood that it'll survive? Litigation. litigation. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Interesting. Well, this is this has been fantastic. I've I I've dabbled in patents a couple of times, never gotten anything, probably shouldn't have even applied for the ones that I did try to, but so I, I went down the path of you know the 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 conversation that you initially started mm-hmm. off with, where you know we kept on getting uh, you know, we got to change this or tweak that, and you know, the patent office said this. So no, this has been really, really enlightening. Russ, if people want to learn more about you, your, your process, your services, what would be the best way to reach out and get in touch? My website is blueironip.com or you can find me on LinkedIn. 
there's not very many Krajaks on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. We're a small breed. So, um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm easy to find on there. My book, which is called Investing in Patents, it really kind of walks through the what's my decision-making criteria for this. Mm-hmm. You know, everything we're talking about, defend, detectability and enforceability, all that kind of stuff. So what, what I talk about in the book and, you know, more, more detail, that's available on Amazon. Or if anybody, if you don't want to pay Amazon, you could drop me a, a letter and just ask nicely and I'm more than happy to <laughs> sign a copy and put it in the mailbox for you. So love it. Yeah, I'm happy to get in touch with any entrepreneur and kind of, uh, you know, I love hearing the entrepreneur story just like you do. It's mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. always fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how people, you know, come up with ideas and think about things and stumble across, you know, new ways of doing something. So, so yeah, no, this is, this is great. I'm sure that, I mean, there, there's been a hell of a lot of gold nuggets here that, uh, that can help people that are you know, walking down that path. So certainly appreciate that. And uh, Russ will be, will be in touch here in the future. Many, many thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.